Welcome back, Greenies. This is J.P. Gooderham, your managing editor of FearTheWave.com. You're back with us for episode 24 of Fear the Wavecast. And of course, it is Beat Houston Week. Today is going to be focused on previewing this uh, Houston Cougars at Tulane matchup. It's going to be senior day at Yeoman Stadium in a really, really critical game for this team. It's do or die time for just about everyone in college football right now. That is definitely true in the case of the Tulane Green Wave. But, you know, the most important thing here, they got to keep this thing going. And this is a chance to put a stake in the ground. Uh, they've obviously beat a quality team this year in that 7-2 and Army that continues to roll on. They actually have not lost a game since losing at Yeoman. And the Green Wave is coming off a good one. You know, it was anxiety-ridden. We can all admit that. It was a really tough last couple of minutes there when ECU was able to come back and score a final touchdown to tie it up. But at the end of the day, this Green Wave team did not give up. They dug in. They got it done in overtime. They had a goal line stand to stop the Pirates. And it was the first ever victory that the Tulane Green Wave program has ever had in Greenville. And that is no short accomplishment. They have lost eight consecutive meetings coming up there. Yeah, these aren't the Pirates of old, but man, it is easy to lose a road league game when you're giving up turnovers, and that's what happened on Saturday at Yeoman, so, or rather at, in Greenville. So what we got going on, we got a huge game coming this weekend. Uh, we're going to have our friends from the S&H podcast on to help us. They're great guys. They know Houston better than anybody. They help us with the AAC blogger poll. They're funny on Twitter. They got all the stuff that you need in a great set of podcast interviewees. They'll be on here to help us break this team down. Uh, Thanks again for coming back and listening to the podcast. It's been fun doing this year. We're down to probably our last couple episodes. We'll see how long those get to go on. But if you're enjoying the podcast, really appreciate everyone going in and giving us some ratings on iTunes. You can just go in if you're an iTunes listener. Get in there, give us a five-star review, leave a comment. We love all that stuff. We got 11 of them so far. Always appreciated. If you're listening on SoundCloud and you like hearing the show, you can download this and subscribe to it and get it when it comes out wherever you enjoy podcasts. We got it on iTunes. We got it on Google Play. We got it on Overcast. Wherever you listen, it's probably there. So let's get down to business here. Let's talk about this Houston at Tulane matchup. Let's get our friends on. Stay angry, my friends. Let's get it done. Let's get this W. All right, guys, we are officially back. It is time to get into the interview of the show. We have a very special set of guests. That is right. It's the first time that we've had both of them on the show, although I think they've done actually three Fear of the Wavecast at this point. It is our friends from the S&H podcast. It's with a W at S-H podcast. You can find them on Twitter. They're great on Twitter. Uh, Sam and Dustin, what's going on, guys? How you doing? Hey, doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's... uh. Let's introduce who you guys are. How about you You first, Sam? Introduce yourself so people can, can hear your voice, then you, Dustin. Uh, my name is I'm Sam. Uh, if there's something really uh, crummy tweeted from our Twitter account, there's a 99% sure, uh, chance it's I. <laughs> All right, I got Sam um, the bad tweeter. What about you, Dustin? I'm, I'm Dustin. If there's something just really boring and uninteresting and uh, verbose tweeted from our Twitter account, that one's probably me. And Iowa State related. And or Iowa State related. I mean, it's like the glory days. Are you are you on the Matt Campbell train? Have you have you? I mean, is this is this is this it? Are they going to keep him? I don't know. I just I, I've, I'm feeling a lot of uh, similarities with the coaching situation that we just had at Houston. So I'm not getting my hopes up too high. He's saying all the right things, but uh, but as we've seen, that doesn't really doesn't really mean a lot. Well, that's how you know he's going to be gone. It's it's only <laughs> when you basically can correlate. I think how close a coach is. I call this the the Calipari rule. The more they say they never could imagine their family being somewhere else. They're already buying a house. <laughs> so let's kick this thing off. Let's let's start there, actually. I always like to go 
a little high level before I get into the game because I want to talk about this Houston team because there's some really interesting things coming, uh, really going on. When you look at the X's and O's, let me throw this to Sam first. You know, obviously we're all familiar because he liked to put himself, you know, in front of folks uh, with the culture that Tom Herman was working on at Houston. We know he had a lot of, a lot of quirks. He had his champions of, you know, I'm going to check your urine levels to make sure your hydration is at a championship quality. Talk to us about what you're seeing as major differences just in the culture of this program and what it means to Houston now that we're deep into the first year of the Major Applewhite era. So I think some of the appeal of hiring Major Applewhite was that there would be some carryover from Tom Herman, which for all of his foibles and for all of the now revisionist history from Cougar fans, like, oh, he was a jerk and I never liked him because of X, Y, and Z. The guy was very good at what he did here. He did a, a lot in two years and almost all of it was very good for U of H football, both in the short term and probably in the long term. I think you're looking uh, at the indoor facility we just built, I think uh, $20 million. And that's something that U of H is going to have for years and years and years, long after Tom Herman and probably even Major Applewhite aren't there. I mean, you know, we can laugh and I do at the weird stuff like kissing players and, you know, his uh, urination uh, scale, as it were. <laughs> but the guy did have an intention to detail. And I think that was to the benefit of U of H football. And if we're all being honest here, it probably will eventually be to the benefit of the Cal College in Austin. I think where the things differ is major isn't as outspoken. I think uh, Herman, at least here, was fairly media friendly. And I, w- I wouldn't say major is particularly media unfriendly, but he isn't as natural in front of the camera or a recorder. He's not going to, I think, win the press conference as often as Herman does. Although I will say the recruiting returns haven't been, I, I would say, as, as freakishly good as they were in Herman's one class that he was actually really invested in, but they've been pretty good. I think U of H, by at least some metrics, has the best G5 class. He's gotten a lot of guys with P5 offers to commit to the Cougs. We'll, we'll see how many sign on the dotted line, but I think it's it, we have brought a lot of the good things that Herman, I think, brought here and kind of continued them obviously there are still a lot of things to be answered but i think that was the main selling point is higher it hasn't been all bad so far well i'll throw this one to dustin because i know he's a numbers guy too you know i've been i've been watching this houston team since the the pac-12 after dark game when they were playing arizona and i remember you know i know it was was technically a close game but feeling like houston was solidly better than that arizona team and, and now that that team has not only saved rich rod's job competed for their division in the pack and on top of that, has one of the most dynamic and exciting offensive players in America. You know, it's it's a really quality win. And on top of that, you've had some some up and down games and also some big successes like they had against USF last year. Where do you see this season going with two weeks, you know, coming? What 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 is the the hope and the expectation for Houston fans looking down at the end of this season? Yeah, I think the everyone's just hoping to end the season strong. Obviously, the the expectations around here, uh, thanks to the the coach who's now at the Cow College, uh, you know, among the other coaches who have done well here, the expectation level is very high. Um, so, I mean, every year, I think people want to to win the West Division. They want to to win the conference and and do things like that. Obviously, um, unless Memphis just absolutely falls apart, I don't think that's going to happen uh, this year. Um, but I mean, there was a lot of uh, you know wailing and gnashing of teeth after the Tulsa loss. Um, you know, the back to back losses there. So I think some people are starting to get back on board, um, and you know if, if they can, if we can win the last two uh, two weeks against two teams that I think will be that will be favored against, and uh, you know that the, the program you know within the team will expect to win those games, um, 
you know, then you're heading heading eight and three into bowl season. And, you know, if you can get to uh, eight and four, nine and three type of season, you know, I, I don't think that's what everyone's goal is. But I think a lot of people will recognize that with some of the difficulties of uh, figuring out who the quarterback is. Uh, you mentioned the Arizona game. It's kind of funny to, uh, to look back on that now because Khalil Tate didn't come in until I think midway through the third quarter. Yep. And of course, uh, Derek King was was nothing but a, uh, a, a thought deep in uh, deep back in the back of the minds of uh, the Cougar staff and the Cougar fans. So if that game were to be replayed uh, this coming week, I think we'd see a very different game with a very different uh, personnel. Um, but yeah, but it, it does it does kind of make the resume look a little better, and you know I think people are willing to acknowledge that you know we're one or two bounces in that Memphis game away from uh, you know potentially competing for uh, for the West Division. So, I mean, obviously uh, it hasn't been everything that we've hoped uh, hoped for and dreamed for, um, but you know I think most reasonable people will still uh, within the Cougar fan base acknowledge that this will been have been a reasonably successful season as long as the Cougars are able to finish up strong and feel like we've got our our quarterback of the future and Derek King moving forward. It took a couple of tries. You know, for anyone, it, it's honestly, if you look at the way his career has, has started as a quarterback at Houston, you know, he's a former highly regarded recruit. He was a commit to TCU. He had offers from a ton of uh, mid to high power five, power six. You know, I should stick to the branding here. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> a lot of good offers. He, he goes to Houston and, you know, until a couple weeks ago, was in the wide receiver room during the week, gets called into action against USF. Uh, on that final drive to beat a ranked opponent on the road, converts a fourth and 24 and runs a third and nine uh, in the red zone in for the game-winning touchdown. I mean, that is a, a storybook way to begin a college career. I'll throw this one to Dustin, man. Tell, tell us about this, uh, this quarterback who y'all had like deep, deep on the depth chart and has now uh, really done everything he could to impress in these first two weeks of his uh, meaningful quarterback career at Houston. Yeah, well, I mean, Applewhite had actually been talking him up a fair amount. Uh, unfortunately, he did have a nagging injury kind of during fall fall camp. So that's when, I mean, because ostensibly, Major had said, you know, it's a, it's a three-man job between Kyle Allen, Kyle Postma, and Derek King. And he said he was going to give all three of them a legitimate chance. And, you know, who knows? I mean, if he hadn't had those injuries, um, as, as impressive as he's looked, maybe he would have been able to uh, to win the starting job outright. Um, but, yeah, but we've seen him at, uh, we've seen him a wide receiver. We saw him... Um, you know, even last year playing receiver, we saw him, you know, throw the ball as a trick play earlier this year. So we've certainly gotten some flashes. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, it, I've kind of had to be a little bit humble because a lot of U of H fans, as soon as as soon as Allen struggled a little bit, bring in Postma. As soon as Postma struggled a little bit, bring in King. And it's just like, OK, well, you can't just solve everything by just constantly switching your quarterback out and constantly <laughs> just going to the next guy. And uh, sure enough, they pr- plug him in, and the, you know, not only is has has he played extremely well and gotten fans excited, but the defense seems to be tightening up again and playing uh, playing their best game. So yeah, I mean, we certainly knew that he is as dynamic an athlete in space as uh, you know as we have on the roster. But until the uh, the USF game, we hadn't seen him really take any snaps as a true quarterback, you know, other than just you know trick plays and stuff like that. Um, so what was really impressive uh, uh, this past uh, week against ECU was with some of his accuracy on the deep balls. And he's really shown that he's got some impressive arm strength and he's, he's, he's shown some nice touch and some deep passes. So I think he's still still a little bit raw, um, but but the arm talent is certainly there. And he, that's why it, it makes the Greg Ward comparisons so easy to make is because they both were so dynamic in the open field. And Greg Ward was a surprisingly good passer. And people, you know, who kind of assumed he was going to be all all, you know, speed and quickness were surprised by by some of the arm talent. And it looks like Derek King is going to follow that that similar trajectory. And obviously, yeah, like you said, it's only a game and a half in uh, his only real start was against a pretty terrible defense in East Carolina. So 
I'm trying not to get uh, too excited, but he he's done nothing to uh, to temper the enthusiasm so far. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, a pretty sober take in, in that the accolades uh, based on his body of work so far are well-deserved. I was watching the ECU tape last night, and I think the thing that stood out to me was just the, the level of confidence that he had, despite the fact that was, at that point, I believe his first week taking first-team reps, right? Yeah, yep. So to have that level of experience, and you watch that game, and you know, I know it's ECU or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's your, your first college start. He comes out firing. I mean, the... The ability and the, the confidence to throw the deep ball well, I think, is something that's going to be really intriguing about this game because Tulane uh, prides itself in having some, some really talented, very experienced folks in the secondary, especially at cornerback. I think there are going to be some, some really enticing one-on-one matchups. Uh, the other thing I notice in the tape, though, is that, and, and again, it's ECU's defense, and we know they don't get a lot of pressure, but I felt like the Houston offensive line in that game gave him a ton of time to really step back and stay in the pocket and, and really take a shot at it. Uh, so I'll throw this one to, uh, let's throw this one to Sam. Uh, what do you think? I mean, do, is this, is that pretty similar to what we've seen throughout the year from that offensive line or, or how has that looked with the other quarterbacks? I'm glad you asked me about that because I think um, one of the things Cougar fans and college football fans in general kind of can overlook about this team and any improvement this team has made is, is the offensive line play. And, to say the 2016 Cougar offensive line was bad is to be generous. The, uh, just the rush offense was the worst I've ever seen from a U of H team and over a decade of watching. The pass protection was awful. The the rush uh, just blocking was terrible. It was really amazing that the 2016 offense after week four, week five produced anything because just you can't really do much if you're bad at pass pro and run blocking. And the Pretty Cougars hard. brought in... Cr- <laughs> Yeah, the Cougars brought in Chris Selfo, a familiar name for some Green Wave fans, who, you know, obviously not for all the best reasons, but he's obviously extremely qualified to be an offensive line coach at this level and has just done wonders. Obviously, I think the Cougars were incredibly snake bit last year with injuries, and this year that they have uh, Marcus Oliver, Ed's older brother, uh, Natire Rogers for the most part, although he missed last week versus ECU. And guys like Will Noble, uh, Braylon Jones, who's played most of his first two years, Josh Jones, who also missed last week, but has started almost the entire first two years. And just the ability to, I think, keep De'Eric clean outside of the first half versus uh, USF, where he was sacked several times. The last six quarters have been awesome, both just from a pass protection standpoint, from a run blocking standpoint. And I think hopefully with the bye week that we're able to get Josh Jones healthy and hopefully Natai Rogers as well at the bookend tackle positions and I think really the Cougs I think they live will live and die by how the offensive line plays on Saturday. I know Tulane at times this year has struggled to get to the quarterback, so you know, whether U of H can keep De'Aaron comfortable in the pocket and also just create you know, get enough push up front to get Duke Cattle on a mobile car and even occasionally De'Aaron King uh, running lanes. That's, I think that's going to decide the game on Saturday. I know it's not a groundbreaking take to say offensive line play and offensive line playing well is going to decide a game, but it's been especially critical for the Cougars this year. As they've succeeded, you know, the offensive line has succeeded. Yeah, Sam, I, I said the same thing. Uh, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that is a unique and hot take. But yeah, I think in this game, it, it really is uh, going to be, if I had to point out two things that look like they could be deal breakers, it's going to be number one, can Tulane get pressure on this quarterback uh, and, and, and get to the backfield, which is something that uh, the Wave struggled with a lot this year. Uh, and I think the second thing, we'll talk about that in a bit, is that 
Uh, Tulane consistently under Fritz has been really solid in turnover margin, and that's been uh, a hallmark of this defense. I know it's been one for Houston for a while as well, and I think that turnover margin is another one that I'm definitely looking at. But back to you, Dustin. Uh, here's my nine. I know we got a new quarterback in there, and I feel like maybe you, uh, <laughs> the progress that Houston has had under King is uh, unfortunately going to embolden every message board poster in the history of the world who's just <laughs> been like, put in the next quarterback. But here we are, man. But uh, when the Cougs have struggled to score, and they've had a couple times like that, you know, you look at Temple and they, they only were able to produce 20 points or only 17 on Tulsa. Uh, what's been the, the break point for this offense? What's been able to slow them down? Yeah, I mean, not to uh, just repeat uh, what Sam was saying, but it has been that that offensive line. This is, you know, certainly an offense that that they want to run the ball. They want to do a lot of the, the read option type of stuff. And there have been, uh, you know, as good as the offensive line has has been, it hasn't been, you know, at its best every single game. And it's it's been games like the Tulsa game, um, where, uh, you know, I mean, they, they if they if they struggle, the whole thing can come tumbling down. Uh, when it's working, it looks great. Um, but we have kind of struggled to get the intermediate pass game going at any point during the season. We've seen some success with the deep balls. Uh, we like to throw a lot of screen passes, but we don't really have the intermediate pass. So we've faced a couple teams that uh, you know are doing enough against our, our line that we can't get the run game going. And if they're able to to put up some pressure and uh, and not allow us to get those screen passes going, um, then you know just be, because of the lack of that intermediate pass, the offense can break down really quickly. If you're just getting stuffed, and you know your only your only hope is is you know hope that you get enough of a pocket that you can throw a deep ball. So that it's, it, it's been an offense that when it, when it is going great, you know, regardless of who the quarterback is when, even when Allen was in, you know, when, when the, when the, uh, the offensive line was working, we were having success moving the ball with Allen out there. We had success moving the ball with Postman out there and it'll be the same thing uh, with the King. As long as, you know, like you said, if he's got the pocket, then, uh, you know, I think he's going to do a lot of good things. But uh, like I said, more than once this year, we've already seen that offense just grind to a halt when, uh, you know, get some twigs in the gears the offensive line isn't 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 having its best game for whatever reason things can slow down really fast and get get very scary Dustin last question on the offense then let's get to let's get to the Ed Oliver show here in a second and talk about the good stuff but uh on the offense <laughs> I know it's interesting because I think a lot of people are probably familiar with uh Duke Catalan from years past the guy I wasn't familiar with uh was Mobacar and he just came off a really big game against ECU how would you describe what this team is trying to do out of the backfield and are these different styles of runners they bring something else to the field when they're there what should Tulane fans expect yeah uh, mobile car has been a really good story he actually he was uh, born in Liberia um, and moved to the to the states when he was real young and just before the season uh, gained his American citizenship which was really exciting for him and uh, he's been a guy he's a, he's a true sophomore now um, and we've kind of see bit, seen bits and pieces of him um, and then the last couple of weeks he's really stepped up and, and you know taken a bigger role and he's a guy that uh, you know can really run people over. Catalan, I would say, is kind of a more balanced runner. He, you know, he can do some in between the tackles. He can get outside, uh, but Mobile Car is more of that bowling ball. You know, he's going to try to run over guys as opposed to you know running around them. And it's it's been very exciting to see. I mean, not not only is Derek King all of a sudden this this sophomore that looks exciting for the future, uh, but Mobile Car has uh, has 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 got a lot of Cougar fans excited. You mentioned the the fourth and twenty four against USF. Uh, that pass was caught by Courtney Lark, a receiver who's also a sophomore who's who's shown some flashes as well. So. Really, all across the offense, it's been exciting to see kind of some of the young guys uh, like the mobile cars step up uh, and give give the Cougs some hope for the future. So we know a lot of people were were excited about, especially what this defensive line could do for Houston this year. Uh, obviously, fronted by Ed Oliver, who you know, hot take, good football player. We were aware <laughs> of that. Uh, I'll throw this one. I'll uh, throw this one over to Sam from the ECU tape. It, it really seemed like Houston was working out a three man front a majority of the time. 
Has that been what we've seen against most offenses this season, or do you see them shifting a little bit for Tulane's run game? What does that look like to you? Yeah, I would expect them to run a 34 front. They've pretty much done that the last two years. I think the one of the big selling points for Mark D'Onofrio, the current defensive coordinator, is that he would still you know maintain that 34 front and that he would try to do a lot of the same things that Todd Orlando did before he left and joined Herman at the Cow College. I think it's less clear this year who the dedicated pass rusher is. I think last year it was, it was Tyus Bowser and, you know, ostensibly he was a linebacker, but you could count on him most of the time to be rushing the quarterback and kind of playing a similar role as a, you know, hand down defensive end. I think what, what's a little different this year is this is a lot less aggressive of a defense. And I think that's for the positive. Obviously Ed Oliver will do Ed Oliver things. And usually that doesn't end well for opposing offenses, but you see a lot less blitzing this year, and that's honestly not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's been much to the wailing and gnashing of teeth of U of H fans, but considering the secondary has been just extremely heavily turned over the last two years with you know guys graduating who were very good players, guys going pro like Howard Wilson early, that I think if U of H did blitz as much as some U of H fans wanted – they would just be getting burned ceaselessly in the secondary with just ultimately, you know, a group of four or five guys who just, I think, aren't as good. I think you could expect to see the three-man front with Ed Oliver, Gerard Carter, who just recently got healthy, and Nick Thurman, who's kind of been a steady, more of your traditional 3-4 defensive end who's going to eat space, stuff the run, and occasionally rush the passer. I think the one guy I want to highlight from the front seven is Matthew Adams. I think we had a lot of really good players the last few years, the Tyus Bowser... Uh, Steven Taylor, who was just, he didn't really do anything, I think, professionally, but he was just a dynamo the last four years. And Matthew Adams has quietly been just a very good run stopper. He missed a lot of the last two weeks just with, you know, nagging injuries. And hopefully he can come back. Um, and just because he's just your prototypical middle linebacker, not really so much a pass rusher, but certainly someone the Cougs are going to count on to face kind of the rush heavy spread option that Willie Fritz and his staff are going to bring. I think Matthew Adams is going to be the guy who kind of makes or breaks the Cougars' ability to slow the Green Wave offense down. It's It was impressive, especially in that game, at, at how they were still able to generate a lot of pressure. They obviously weren't dialing up the huge blitzes very often. Uh, and yet, you know, we, we know this is a defensive line that's very talented. They have some players, especially Oliver, who are violent at the line and can win in the in the trenches. Looking at Oliver specifically, just because he's, he's a, a once-in-a-generation player, especially in this conference, you know, he is a, a true blue chip, no matter what level of college football you were looking at. Have teams been able to do anything? Have you seen him have off games, uh, you know, doing things legitimately? I mean, I, I know ECU was throwing some absolutely nasty chop blocks on him, especially in the first quarter. Uh, what, what Have you seen anyone slow that show down, or is it just uh, you deal with it as it comes? I think really it's just been, if Ed Oliver's 100% healthy, there's not really much opposing teams can do with him. I think... ECU actually did a pretty decent job creating a game plan that just minimized Ed Oliver's, I guess, impact and that they just, they threw it, I think, 74 times when it was all said and done that Saturday. And I don't think that's probably something Tulane wants to do, but that was something that effectively minimized Ed Oliver's impact. It just made real, just real quick screen passes, just got the ball out of Gardner Minshew's hands as fast as possible and sort of neutralized Ed Oliver's immediate pass threat but I mean other than I think Temple threw a couple you know a couple of maybe questionable cut blocks or chop blocks whatever you want to call it at, at Oliver but I really don't think other than 
I get you know just really strenuously avoiding running off guard. I don't think there's a whole lot you can do. And yeah, you know, I know Tulane likes a lot of the option game, likes to run to the outside, but ultimately, regardless of offense, you can't avoid running it up the middle occasionally unless you're going to be East Carolina and throw it 70 plus times. So to answer that question, I really don't think there's a whole lot you know opposing teams can do directly to neutralize that Oliver he just his motors like nothing I've ever seen from any player U of H or otherwise and I think what makes it so much more incredible is that he's a true sophomore you just you don't see guys who are true sophomores make this kind of impact ever I think you you, you look at at Oliver's true freshman year numbers lined up with fifth year senior and Dominican Sue and they're essentially similar and this was a guy who had been playing high school football the year previously. It just, you just, you never see this kind of impact from a guy playing an interior line position and just this kind of motor and this kind of athleticism. And that's what makes Ed Oliver just ultimately one of a kind, whether, you know, out of Houston players or just college football players in general. Yeah. You can, you could pull up the tape from, I remember that Oklahoma game when I, I think he was oh, on campus man. for what, like eight weeks at that point. Yeah. And he, I, he was, it was chasing crazy. guys down from behind. If you if you're looking at an, an 18 year old kid, I, if that if you know I, I you will show that to an NFL team that tells you how much upside that guy has. So uh, you know obviously a lot of fun for Kooks fans right now to have a player like that. And and really Sam to your point, I think and I agree with you that obviously Tulane everyone typecasted and for good reason because that's the identity that we're trying to build is is to be an option team. I think the message board bugaboo or boogeyman or whatever you want to call it that that we've had is that there has really been a a limited amount of option elements that the two lanes really been focused on especially in the last few weeks and it's felt like the playbook has gotten more vanilla which is very surprising because in year two with jonathan banks and and being the runner that he is our expectation was that this is a team that was going to attack the perimeter a lot more and, and really work the pitch read which we almost never see uh so one of the reasons you know aside from just the implications of this game which i'm I'm not talking about the B word anymore, so it's a it's a great opportunity to go one and zero this week and every week as always. But uh, you know, I think the key thing for us is what what do you do from an offensive standpoint to to neutralize Ed Oliver in a run first offense? Because if you run the zone read a million times this game, it's not going to be effective, right? Uh, so I'm very interested to see what this Green Wave offense and what the uh, the offensive coordinator and Coach Fritz do this week. So. Let me do one more on the defense, and then and then I, I got a big picture question for you. I'll throw this one back to Dustin. And and Dustin, if if you're a Tulane fan, I think the game that you look to, especially being the the profile of team that Tulane is as a run first team, is the Tulsa game. And I was very surprised to look at that, not just because it's a common opponent, uh, and obviously we all love the transitive property and Green Wave Nation, but it's <laughs> pretty shocking. You know, the Houston was giving up like six point one yards per carry on the ground to that Tulsa team. Uh, what? What happened? Was it an off day? Was it was it injuries? Is there anything that we can take away from that that might be useful to think about in establishing a dominant run game in this one? Yeah, Ed was dinged up a little bit in that game. I think it was uh, the SMU game that he got. He picked up a little minor injury and wasn't uh, wasn't playing at 100%. So I think that was certainly a factor. Um, and I don't know. It's, I, I, I struggled to know what to take away from that Tulsa game because of the way that the entire team collapsed. And for the first half, the defense was uh, was doing a decent job. And I actually mercifully missed that game. Uh, Sam was at that one, so he may me may uh, have have more of an insight. But uh, in the second half, it just looked like the entire team just collapsed, and and just it felt like the the, the you know the, the plug got pulled, and uh, and 
you know, it, just, it felt like an entire team collapse. So certainly the defense uh, didn't have its best game, but that game has been pretty singular on both sides of the ball. Really, you know, just as, as a team effort as a whole, we haven't seen anything nearly that bad uh, this year generally. So I sure hope that there's not a lot to generalize from that Tulsa game because we've all been uh, just trying to pretend like, you know, it was a one-off and it, it doesn't mean anything. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. We haven't seen anything remotely like that uh, from, you know, effort-wise from the team as a whole. Sam, you drove to that game, if I'm not mistaken, right? I did. That's fun. Nothing like a good drive back from Tulsa, Oklahoma after a game like that. Like nothing else, yep. So say, okay, here, well, I, I got, I got, I'll get to my prediction question in a second. Last question before the prediction question. Uh, Sam, well, let's go for you first. Who's the most surprising team, either above expectations or below expectations in your mind in the AEC right now? You know... I think I'm going to pick kind of an odd one here. Temple. I think um, just it's it's extremely difficult to win consistently. It's extremely cons- difficult to win consistently anywhere. I was kind of telling U of H fans when we became bowl eligible after the ECU game that the only other team in this conference that has been bowl eligible every year since 2013 is Navy, which is obviously incredible in its own right and it's its own discussion. But Temple has, I think, more disadvantages than our program than the Tulane program, just geography, history, lack thereof, the lack of an on-campus stadium, new coach, and just they graduated a ton of good players the last two years, guys in the league, guys who were just good college players. And the fact that they're one win away from bowl eligibility right now with a new coach and new schemes, with all the guys they lost from last season, with just basically nothing at quarterback, I think is absolutely remarkable. And I think it's going to be, I think, it's a, it's a statement towards, I think, what Jeff Collins is building long-term there, that they, were, that they were ahead of schedule at this program that has all these disadvantages, and that Temple Football, a program that was just synonymous with losing in futility, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, up until just very, very recently, relatively, might be bowl-eligible for the third year in a row, or I think a fourth year in a row, because they were bowl-eligible but didn't go in 2014. It's pretty incredible in its own right, and I I think Jeff Collins might be building something pretty serious there in the long term, even if they lose these last two games. That they got to five and seven, even, I think is kind of remarkable. Good answer. Yeah, and, and even in this season, I don't know if you saw the USF game. They looked bad. I mean, there was oh, I was taking some It was the worst shots. thing I've seen from an AAC team this year. They, I, I was, I remember watching that game. I, I sent one, I think Reddit retweeted it. So it was like, it was just Temple's entire staff with their head in their hands. And I'm just like, when you realize you've accepted it, that your, your like coaching future is going to be at Temple. And they've turned around. They're, they're a very competent team. They just beat a Cincinnati team that Tulane lost to. Uh, yeah, that's a great answer. All right. And I'll, I'll, go, I'll go one last high-level one here. Throw this one over to Dustin, although I know you guys work on these together. I want to hear a full-throated defense even though I know the Houston fans aren't necessarily listening to this, I want to hear the defense for this. In the AAC blogger poll, I mentioned this in your show, very, very honored to be uh, with some esteemed, actually the only, I think the only outlet that is voted every single week. So <laughs> congratulations, gentlemen. That was, that was yes. impressive. You are truly the MVPs of this, of this program. But here's my question. Uh, you know, I know it was a, a tough game. It went back and forth. Uh, Houston, you know, goes on the road with a new quarterback and beats USF. They they get the drive done. They execute there. They go on the next week and they, they win against ECU. They have a new quarterback that's doing good things. Why am I the only voter who has uh, Houston above USF right now? I want to hear this defense. 
we we did talk about the Tulsa game and that game that happened, right? Like that. I mean, as much as I would uh, I would love to put U of H up there. I mean, it was as as exciting and thrilling as that USF game was. You know, we are one tipped ball away from uh, from USF still winning that game, and I don't think USF has had a uh, any result that's nearly as disastrous as that uh, that Tulsa one was uh, for the Cougs. So, you know, uh, Sam and I, as, as we as you kind of alluded to, we take it we, we take uh, our our voting responsibility very seriously, and we're always uh, we're always making sure to check each other. Like, all right, we're not we're not over you know hyping U of H. You know, we kind of we kind of tend to lean the other way. That if there's a question, we'll. Uh, if there's any question, we'll put U of H maybe a little bit lower because we don't want to. You don't want to be seen as homers, and we take our, our voting responsibility seriously. But you know, I, I think there's certainly an argument to put U of H uh, ahead there. But you know, if looking at the season as a whole, um, if USF were to lose another game, I think I would uh, I would give U of H the nod there. But uh, for the time being, I'm, I'm I'm okay being four in the poll. I respect the thinking, and, and to be honest with you, I'm always impressed. I feel like people uh, across the board do a really good job, and and often vote against you see that with uh with navy's guy michael uh from the mid report all the time uh you know i really like that people take it seriously so thanks thanks as always for contributing i want to i want to be respectful of uh your time it's been great having you again getting your perspective so i'll ask one last question which i will frame as a (laughs) two-parter so the first scenario i don't like to do a straight up score prediction i think that's boring what i'm going to do is i'm going to ask first and i'll throw this one let's go back to sam and here's the question if this game goes Houston's way. They come to New Orleans. They get it done, however you're thinking about that. We're looking at the box score on Sunday recording this podcast. What is the biggest storyline of this game that allows Houston to get it done? I think De'Aaron King, now with even more time, I think between his, in, his, his early season, or I guess preseason injury, and now has his best running game since taking over as Houston quarterback. I think that's one of those things that's been pretty amazing. He did have the big touchdown run to close out the USF game, but D.R. King has absolutely done more as a passer than a rusher in his you know, limited time now as a starting quarterback. I think if this game on Saturday does go U of H's way, it will be, at least in some large part, due to D.R. King I think breaking out as a runner, making things happen, that Duke Catalan and Mobacar take pressure off him, and he's able to, I think, make the reads necessary. I think... Tulane secondary is good enough that even if U of H wins in dominant fashion, which is certainly a scenario that's out there, that it won't be because they threw for a bazillion yards, kind of like they did against East Carolina. I think it will be due to the run game, and in this specific instance, D.R. King having his best game as a rusher since taking over as a starting quarterback. All right, and I'll flip the question for the final part. Let's throw this back to Dustin. Dustin, man, if this game does not go Houston's way, they have a really tough flight or drive, West and I ten, what's the what's the deal? What's what would you suggest the storyline of this scenario where they have a New Orleans nightmare? Uh, I think turnovers are going to be the, the key the key question if U of H ends up not winning. I do like how uh, the Tulane offense matches up with what U of H does well defensively. I actually, just tweeted this: U of H has gone thirty six consecutive games against non service academies without allowing an opposing quarterback to rush for fifty yards. That includes Quinton Flowers. That includes Khalil Tate. That includes Lamar Jackson twice. Um, so I think the U of H defense is going to do a good job of not allowing Tulane to move the ball real well. Um, so I think in order uh, for I think Tulane's going to have to have you know some big defensive plays, turn it over, maybe get a you know a touchdown on special teams, something like that. Um, so I think it's going to have to be those uh, those those other factors that are they're going to probably swing this game in Tulane's favor, which is uh, entirely possible. We've seen U of H have the uh, the turnover bug on occasion this year, so I think uh, I think that's how it happens. 
I like it. And first of all, Dustin, that's a great stat because it's just some, you know, some good analysis right there. I think it says something about this team. But second of all, it perfectly sets up a great uh, retweet to say that Jonathan Biggs is better than Lamar Jackson should he get to 51 <laughs> yards. So be prepared if that happens. Guys, Fair enough. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It is always great having you. We've got to get you back. Uh, we'll probably do a couple episodes during baseball season at least. When the conference championship comes around, for anyone listening, you got to follow them on Twitter. They're great guys. They vote in the AC Blogger poll. They do a great job with their podcast and on Twitter. They're at, at SH Podcast, P A W. Find them there. Guys, thanks so much for coming on Fear the Wavecast again. Come back. Thanks, JP. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Later, fellas. See ya. All right, guys, that's our show for today. It's obviously great to have the guys from the SH Podcast here again. They have ton of great insight into this Houston team. It's a really good program. They're, they're looking good this year. They have a, a dynamic quarterback. Should be a fun one on Saturday at Yeoman Stadium. Make sure to get out there, especially if you're in town for senior day. Uh, really got to tip your hat to these seniors because this is a really strong class. It's been through a couple of different coaching administrations. And let's see them finish strong, get it done, and keep things, uh, keep things interesting as we go forward. So with that, that's going to be our show for today. Stay angry, my friends. Have a good one.